You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. China deploys tools used against Uyghurs in broader espionage. The Five Eyes call out a GRU cyber espionage campaign. Russian hacktivists' auxiliaries hit Czech banks and the platform formerly known as Twitter. A spring Kafka Zero Day is discovered. Deepin Desai from Zscaler explains red energy stealer as ransomware attacks. Luke Nelson of UHY Consulting on ransomware's impact on schools. And go Wolverines! The University of Michigan overcomes a cyber attack that delayed the academic year. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Thursday, August 31st, 2023. We begin today with developing stories on cyber espionage. Cybersecurity firm ESET is reporting that the China-linked threat actor they track as Gref is distributing the bad bazaar Android malware via trojanized versions of Telegram and Signal in the Google Play Store and the Samsung Galaxy Store. Both stores have since removed the malicious apps. ESET notes that Bad Bazaar has been used in the past to target Uyghurs and other Turkic ethnic minorities. In this case, the malicious Telegram app, called Flygram, was shared in a Uyghur Telegram group. The researchers add that the malicious Signal app, called Signal Plus Messenger, represents the first documented case of spying on a victim's signal communications by secretly auto-linking the compromised device to the attacker's signal device. Here's a second story that may or may not be traceable to Chinese intelligence services. Researchers at security firm Trend Micro describe a cyber espionage campaign by a cyber criminal group the researchers call Earth Estries. The threat actor is targeting organizations in the government and technology industries based in the Philippines, Taiwan, Malaysia, South Africa, Germany, and the U.S. Trend Micro states, 
We believe the threat actors behind Earth estries are working with high-level resources and functioning with sophisticated skills and experience in cyberespionage and illicit activities. The researchers refrain from making any attributions, but they note that there are some overlaps between Earth estries and the China-linked famous Sparrow APT. We note that they did describe Earth estries as having high-level resources and some cyber-espionage sophistication. So the hints are still circumstantial, but as the old saying has it, if it walks like a duck and sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. Early this morning, the Five Eyes, the intelligence services of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, issued a joint advisory providing further details on the malware infamous chisel used in a GRU cyber espionage campaign first described early this month by Ukraine's SBU. Infamous Chisel targets Android devices on behalf of Sandworm, the threat group associated with the GRU's main center for special technologies. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency explains that it performs periodic scanning of files and network information for exfiltration, including system and application configuration files. It provides network backdoor access via a Tor hidden service and SSH, as well as other capabilities that include network monitoring, traffic collection, SSH access, network scanning, and SCP file transfer. Infamous Chisel isn't sophisticated or well-crafted malware. The Five Eyes assess the malware's components as representing low-to-medium sophistication. They appear to have been developed with little regard to defense evasion or concealment of malicious activity. Its targets seem to have been mainly Ukrainian military devices. The UK's National Cybersecurity Center framed the report as an instance of support for Ukraine. Paul Chichester, NCSC Director of Operations, said, The exposure of this malicious campaign against Ukrainian military targets illustrates how Russia's illegal war in Ukraine continues to play out in cyberspace. Our new report shares expert analysis of how this new malware operates and is the latest example of our work with allies in support of Ukraine's staunch defense. The UK is committed to calling out Russian cyber aggression, and we will continue to do so. In addition to GRU cyber espionage, Russian cyber activity continues in the form of implausibly deniable hacktivist cutouts, tools, and fronts for Moscow's intelligence services. No name 05716, the Russian hacktivist auxiliary, moved from operations against Poland to hit a similar target set in the Czech Republic. The BRNO Daily today reported distributed denial-of-service attacks against a number of Czech banks, as well as the Prague Stock Exchange. These were nuisance-level attacks, representing no threat to the organization's or their customers' data. No Name says the attacks are intended to punish the victims' support for Ukraine and to induce them to reconsider such report. Full service was restored at most sites within hours of the attack. Anonymous Sudan, which is probably neither Sudanese nor anonymous, but rather a hacktivist auxiliary answering to Russian intelligence services, yesterday disrupted the social media platform X in about a dozen countries, the BBC reports. The nominal goal of the action was to get Mr. Elon Musk to open up Starlink service to Sudan. 
The hacktivists, stung by widespread suspicion that they're really a bunch of Russians, offered the BBC such evidence as images of passports to attest to their bona fides as for real Sudanese. Judge for yourselves. It's worth noting that the Russian cyber operations deployed in the current hybrid war against Ukraine, apart from some wiper attacks executed in the opening hours of the shooting war a year and a half ago, have largely been confined to conventional cyber espionage and nuisance-level hacktivism. The much-feared crippling bolt from the blue has yet to arrive. Turning to a newly discovered vulnerability, researchers at security firm Contrast Security have discovered a deserialization vulnerability affecting Spring Kafka, a project used for development of Kafka-based messaging services. Contrast explains, Insecure deserialization occurs when a vulnerability allows untrusted or unknown data to be passed, enabling a denial-of-service attack, code execution, authentication bypass, or other types of abuse to an application's logic. The researchers were able to develop a proof of concept that could conduct remote code execution or denial-of-service attacks. VMware has issued a patch for the vulnerability. And finally, the University of Michigan has restored Internet to its Ann Arbor, Dearborn, and Flint campuses after sustaining a cybersecurity incident over the weekend, EdScoop reports. The company had severed its networks from the Internet due to a significant security concern. University President Santa J. Ono stated yesterday, We expect some issues with select UM systems and services in the short term, and not all of our remediation efforts are complete, However, they will be resolved over the next several days. The university is working with federal law enforcement to investigate the incident. It seems the university took quick and decisive action to respond to the attack, which itself argues that they had prepared and exercised that response. That's the consensus of the experts we heard from, which we'll summarize by saying, Go Wolverines! Coming up after the break, Deepin Desai from Zscaler explains Red Energy Stealer as a ransomware attacks. Luke Nelson from UHY Consulting on ransomware's impact on schools. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. 
offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Luke Nelson is Managing Director at UHY Consulting. I recently spoke with him about the state of ransomware, its impact on schools, and how the Biden administration's plans will affect cybersecurity. Well, certainly, as we saw uh, schools move more remotely with the pandemic a few years ago, uh, there was an opportunity for bad actors to manipulate and you know, take advantage of that situation. So we've certainly seen uh, cyber attacks directionally increase for school systems, local, state governments in, in general, as they've gone to more of a remote workplace. Uh, and so, you know, as we think about what the government's response is to those activities, there's certainly, you know, an education component to it. Uh, and there's certainly how do we increase the mitigants uh, that will disallow those bad actors to have access to, uh, you know, student information, you know, students being able to be productive in the, in the school place as well. So how has the Biden administration addressed this? What, what sort of plans are, are, are they signaling here? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think about it in terms of it's been a progression. So if you look back into you know, 2020, I believe, was when they first came out with the Cybersecurity Improvement Act that really talked about the IoT, the Internet of Things, and the government being able to, you know, meet the minimum security requirements that needed to take place. The reason that was initially pushed out was because at that particular point in time, I think there was something around, you know, mid-90% in terms of unencrypted data that was moving back and forth between you know, the federal government agencies, and, and they said, you know, we needed to change that. You know, as we fast forward a little bit, there was a, a cyber grant program that was approved through the state and local cybersecurity act in 2022 that actually allowed funding for those state and local entities to take federal money and increase their security posture. Where that initially started was you need to do a risk assessment, you know, using the NIST security framework and determine what your plan would be. In year one, I believe there was about $180 million that was distributed into, into those, those local and state entities. Last year, this year, I guess, you know, it was almost double, almost $375 million, if I'm recalling correctly, that got pushed out to use. Simultaneously, as that $375 million was being approved, the Biden administration and the Department of Education you know, came out and said, 
know, we want to make sure that the Department of Education is pushing out some standards as well to specifically K through 12 schools. So my assumption is that part of that money that has already been tagged for that local and state government funding and grant program will actually make its way into the K-12. I would also anticipate through directly the Department of Education for not only vendors to be able to be selected for the education, for the hardening of devices and the like, but also for the Department of Education to, to take a look at how students are learning in this new kind of remote world and whether or not that they feel as if there needs to be some adjustments to the overall infrastructure. Yeah, it really seems like uh, a huge problem to tackle, and not the least of which is, you know, that schools are run by the states. And so there's so many different ways of organizing the districts in the different sizes and different ways of funding them. Uh, it's going to be a challenge uh, for the feds to come in here. I mean, I suppose on, on the one hand, you know, every school system welcomes additional funding from the feds to help them tackle this problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the, 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 the intention of the local and, and state investment act is really to take federal monies and distribute it to those local and state uh, agencies to determine how they want to use it. We have seen some of that be used specifically for schools, but obviously it's intended to be a broader reach other than just schools. However, with the recent uh, acknowledgement from the Biden administration on specifically the Department of Education and how they want to be moving through the process, they'll either use those federal funds to do something similar specifically for K-12, or there will be additional funds allocated based upon the findings that they're seeing as part of this initial rollout. It strikes me that cybersecurity in particular is something that has broad bipartisan support, which, you know, is a, a bit of a unicorn in today's political environment. Uh, do you feel as though the Biden administration is doing a good job of taking advantage of, of that sentiment these days? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's ever-evolving, right? I mean, unfortunately, the cybersecurity space is evolving in real time, right? You know, from a day-to-day -day perspective, that industry, and I'll call it an industry, is, you know, well-funded, whether that's, you know, nation-state actors or private institutions who are going after assets, right? I mean, they want to see a return on what they're seizing. I'll call it that, Right. So in terms of like a ransomware type of an event, right? If you can lock down a school for a number of days or get access to student information, you know, can I make $50,000 and not get prosecuted for it? We're seeing a lot of that take place basically because the price point for entry is so what? A couple thousand dollars, right? You can spin up a, a environment that you could go and, 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 and act in a nefarious capacity for these school districts, right? And that's going to continue to evolve. So part of what I think the Biden administration is taking a look at is understanding processes and the human component as to whether or not we need to educate more versus hardening technology systems, which I, which I do think is part of the answer. Uh, so I do think they're taking advantage of you know, what the current sentiment is 
But also at the same time, it's a reality of as we move more and more into a digital world, you know, we obviously moved you know, more quickly due to COVID and the pandemic into the space, but we're going to continue to move more digitally um, or continue to for, for school systems. And, and now's the time to take a look at and say, how do we want to design this differently in the future? That's Luke Nelson from UHY Consulting. And joining me once again is Deepan Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepan, it's always my pleasure to welcome you back to the show. I, I want to talk today about some research that you all recently put out. This is Ransomware Redefined, Red Energy Stealer as a Ransomware Attacks. Uh, help me understand what you all are uncovering here. Yeah, thank you, Dave. So uh, Red Energy Stealer, uh, and, and this actually is a campaign that we spoke about at a security conference BotConf uh, early this year. So the team in this case actually discovered a new family, honestly, a new threat category, which is which we've dubbed Stealer as a ransomware. So the family involved here, Red Energy, uses a fake update campaign, and it's responsible for targeting multiple industry verticals. The goal over here is to steal information from various web browser and exfiltrating sensitive data. And then it also has these additional modules incorporated inside. And one of them, as I mentioned earlier, is ransomware. So this is where they're encrypting the files. And that's where we're seeing this interesting merge of activities of a stealer as well as ransomware. So in terms of of them activating the different tiers of capabilities here, is this a case where are they stealing the information first and then uh, if they don't get what they want, then do they threaten the the ransomware component or or how are they coming at things? Yeah, so in in the campaign that we observed, we didn't see the ransomware functionality invoked. But as we analyzed the payload that was planted on the endpoint, right, the, the focus main was, yes, there was active stealing of information once the attack is successful. But when we analyzed the payload and we looked at all the different capabilities, the malware actually includes ransomware module that encrypts the user data and the extension they used uh, was an interesting one as well. I won't spell it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it basically, the goal over there is to render the system um, unusable. Right? And, and if the payload has been installed on multiple systems, uh, then it's, it's going to cause business disruption as well. We did not see any kind of uh, lateral propagation module in this, but uh, um, that's still possible as a second stage payload that they can download, that, can, that they can always download on one of the system that's infected and then move laterally from that point onward. I see in the research here that they're also going after your backups. Yes. Deleting backup is an important functionality, <laughs> especially when you encrypt data and, and, and user is able to easily revert back to the previous backup, right? So if you want the ransomware functionality to be effective, this is something that they will always incorporate. Now, that's where doing those offline backups, air gap 
backups, right? Where your backup information is secure, even after these type of activities done on your endpoint is extremely important. And what have you seen in terms of who these folks seem to be targeting? So they were targeting multiple industry verticals, but we specifically saw them targeting manufacturing industries. And and there were multiple companies uh, that we saw, which all of which had notable LinkedIn and internet presence as well. So I would say in this manufacturing industry is their primary target over here. And how does someone find themselves infected with this? You mentioned this is a, it's a fake update campaign. Yeah, it's it's the old you know hey you, your your plugin needs to be updated, your browser needs to be to be updated, and this is where the infection chain starts. Uh, when someone falls for this, uh, the initial payload gets installed. Uh, it will then attempt to escalate privilege. It will also download uh, further payloads and, and the CNC activity begins from that point onward. I see. All right. Well, Deepin Desai is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Deepin, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K's strategic workforce intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show is written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler 
the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.